Today we are continuing in a four-part series on the community of the king with special attention directed at a new area of ministry for St. Andrews, that of community groups. Adam Williams will conclude this series next week, and it's my privilege to share with you today the voice of the community from Colossians chapter 3. It is our habit, as, as most of you know, uh, to read the scripture first and to affirm the special nature of God's revelation with a response. I would like to instead take portions of the passage today throughout the sermon. But please understand that it is at the times we are reading scripture together that God speaks most clearly to his people. So I encourage you to open your Bibles to Colossians 3 and be prepared to follow along as we read sections of the chapter together this morning. At the very beginning of Fiddler on the Roof, undoubtedly one of the greatest works in the American Broadway canon, we find a middle-aged milkman beginning the day with his usual mundane routine. Tevya introduces himself and sets the tone for the story as he describes the small Russian-Jewish community where he and his family are firmly entrenched. As he tells us about Anatevka, we find out that each person has a particular role to fill within the community. There are rules to follow and a societal order to life. And as long as everyone knows their place, things run very smoothly in this little village. All of this is summed up in one word, the one thing that holds them together, that makes them a community. Tradition. Looking into the camera, he then poses, you may ask, how did all of these traditions get started? Where did they come from? I have no idea, but they are traditions and we live by them. Those of you who know the story understand the irony of this opening song. For the rest of the play, the traditions which Tevya stakes his life on begin to erode away right beneath him until Anatevka itself is swept away in the fallout of the Bolshevik Revolution. Traditions are not bad in and of themselves. In fact, if we were to examine them, most organizations, businesses, families, clubs, schools, religions, and communities are held together and given continuity through the generations by a set of traditions. Each community, whether religious in nature, civic, fraternal, scholastic, expresses itself through its unique voice, its traditions. These traditions define the community and allow it to speak into the lives of one another members as well as into the life of the broader community, the broader culture. The church is certainly no stranger to traditions. Individual churches and denominations speak through their own traditions. Some good, some bad, some negotiable, some not so negotiable. The established religious order of Jesus' day was steeped in tradition. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders for allowing the traditions of men to usurp the word of God. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. This was a harsh rebuke from Jesus, who was speaking truth into his very own religious culture. Here we see the danger of losing the voice of Christ's community and replacing it with a community of our own making based on the traditions of men. As Dale has already mentioned in previous weeks, this was a huge problem in the early church. Jesus had come and turned their faith community on its head. He, the one who was the fulfillment of every aspect of their religious observances, was in that very fulfillment obliterating their cherished traditions. This transition, this establishment of a new faith community was not going to be easy. And the Apostle Paul devotes a great deal of time in his letters to the churches to, of all things, the theology of the church. Our pastor looked into two of those letters in previous weeks, and today we examine a third. Of course, it's good that we in the 21st century American conservative Presbyterian church get it. We have a firm grasp on what the church of Christ is and what we are to be. But just in case a few of us like me could use some brushing up on this subject, let's take a look again into God's word and see what it teaches us about the community of faith that is the church. Christ has given his church a distinctive and active voice to enable us to speak into the culture, into one another's lives, and to Christ himself. When the particular cultural traditions of a local church or denomination become too important, that church risks masking the true voice of the community of the king represented in the church universal and eternal. The methods, the look, the songs, the liturgy of worship, these will change through the course of time and as cultures develop around the world. But the overarching voice of the community, the clarion call of the good news, which has not changed, does not change, and will not change, must drown out those voices of culture and context that would jockey for its position of primacy. Here in this beautiful letter, written to the dear saints in Colossae, whom he never was able to visit, Paul lovingly teaches them how to be the community of Christ and speak as one voice. First, let's examine some of the distinctives of the voice of the community. The voice of the community is a changed voice. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
The voice of the community is distinctive first in, th- in that it is a changed voice. As a singer and voice teacher, it is fascinating through the years to watch the voice of a young person change. While boys have a more dramatic and noticeable change during adolescence, the female voice changes as well. We all suffered through those awkward, squeaky moments of the early teen years. When your membership is transferred from the community of darkness into the community of light, you have a voice change. Not a physical alteration of the vocal cords, of course, but a complete spiritual rebirth. Paul says, in essence, if you are who you say you are, then act like it. Be passionate about the things that heaven is passionate about. Be concerned about the things that heaven is concerned about. No longer speak with the voice of a worldling who is only concerned with the trinkets of dust that are found here. You have been given a new voice, a voice that speaks for God. You are now part of a higher calling, a greater community than you could ever imagine, a growing community that speaks truth and love into the sin-filled, rotten culture of the world. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Did you catch that little reminder from Paul? These attitudes and actions of sin that we're so easily lured back to are the very reason that world judgment is coming. Christian, It is for these trivial, silly allures that the wrath of God was hurled at the eternal spotless Son on the cross. And it is because of these very things in the world that the wrath of God is yet to be pronounced upon the world and all of those outside of the community of the King. He continues, In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Oh, Christian, God is performing a work of grace in your life through our knowledge of him gained in his word. Even during this very hour, as we sit at his feet in worship, you are being renewed into the very image of Christ. If you are who you say you are, speak then with the changed voice of the community of our King. This changed voice we see in the passage is also singular in nature. The voice of the community is one voice. In verse 3, we read a moment ago, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And later, here there is not Greek and Jew, 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This is a hard concept for us in particular to grasp. Culturally, we've been taught that America is a nation of rugged individualists. From the time we're small, we hear that it's all up to you. You can be anything you want to be in this free land of opportunities, but it's all up to you. This spirit of independence is the very bedrock of capitalism, is it not? However, if we are to set our mind on things above, if our affections are to be those things that moth and rust do not destroy, then we must retool our thinking a bit. In this passage, Paul says, we as individuals, did you catch it, are dead. We have been absorbed into the community that is the church. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Paul goes even further and obliterates the social distinctions of his day when he says there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. In the letter to the Galatians, uh, he, uh, he adds in them to the mix male and female. What could we add to this list today? What separates us in our society? Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. Paul continues, but Christ is all and in all. Here's the bottom line on this. All of these class distinctions that bother us and rub us the wrong way within society, these distinctions do not exist within the body of Christ because our identity is in Christ alone. We are lost in him, as are all of his people in all tribes and all nations and for all time. It's the beauty of the universal church. The voice of the community is a changed voice. It's one voice, and it is Christ's voice. We, the church of Christ, the community of the king, have been given an incredible gift and responsibility. We have been given the voice of Christ. Let me explain quickly what I mean by this statement and perhaps more importantly what I don't mean. The church is the voice of Christ in the world in that it speaks for Christ, not as Christ. At his ascension, Jesus himself entrusted his teachings with the church and commanded that we should go out and make disciples, teaching all nations. Some churches have decided that the job of the church is to speak as Christ in his stead. This is not the position of Orthodox Christianity. We believe that God has completed his revelation to mankind in his word, and the church speaks for Christ as his representatives here on earth until he comes again. So as those who speak for Christ... Look at what Paul says. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, 
forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What compassion our Savior has shown in saving us from our sin. What kindness he demonstrates in calling us brother, sister, and friend. What humility was his in stooping from glory of heaven to the squalor of earth. What meekness he showed before his accusers and his executioners. What patience he was endured as the wrath of God for all his people upon the cross was put upon him. Our friend that sticks closer than a brother, the redeemer of the lost and the lover of our souls. Let us, as his voice here on earth, speak forth the honors of his name and the glory of his gospel. But this distinctive voice of the community is not simply to be, sitting by passively until we are called to heaven. No, a voice is to be used. In the great hymn of consecration by Francis Havergal, we have this phrase, take my voice and let it sing always only for my king. We are salt and light, staving off the eternal destruction of those around us, bringing the light of truth into darkness. Paul understood the urgency and critical nature of our calling and wanted the church to get it right. The voice of the community is an active voice. It is not mute. It speaks. Continuing our passage. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As the voice of Christ upon the earth, the community of the king is called to speak into the culture. What does the world want? When you put aside food, clothing, shelter, and the stuff, and you're out there talking to your family and your friends, your colleagues, fellow students, what are they really looking for? What are people hungry for? I think some of the basic human desires put in us by our Creator are addressed right here in this passage. In 1965, one of the most popular hits of the day, and I don't remember it firsthand, mind you, was a song with this refrain. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. The 60s, as you know, were a time of great upheaval in American culture. It was a hard time. This song was on to something. Unfortunately, the popular culture didn't have the right solution, and frankly, it still doesn't. So who has the answer to the culture's question? In the Gospel of John, we have the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he was crucified. In chapter 13, we read this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Who has the answer? The community of the king has the answer. You and I have the answer. More than that, we are the stewards to the answers of all the world's problems. As members of the community of the king, we are to speak love into the culture. Not some feel-good, groovy kind of love, but the love of Christ shown on the cross of suffering. Folks, if you're not aware of it, the world is in turmoil. It's a mess. In addition to the need for love, the cries for peace are everywhere, from wars and conflicts of nations to schoolyard bullies and political filibusters, from millennia-old fights between Arabs and Jews to last night's fight between mom and dad. The calls for peace are everywhere. In that same upper room, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is the answer to the unrest and turmoil. The Bible says that he, Christ himself, is our peace. Who has the answer to the world's cry for peace? We do. The community of the king. We speak peace into the culture. The community of the king speaks into the culture love, peace, and truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul tells, teaches many of the same things regarding the church that we find here in Colossians. In response to error that was affecting the church there, he challenges, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When the cry of our society goes out, even as Pilate declared to Jesus, what is truth? The community of the king answers by speaking truth in love into the culture. For we are the keepers of truth, folks. We hold the words of life. We are the stewards of the gospel, love, peace, and truth. Why are we hoarding it? May God enable and empower us with boldness to speak into the culture love, peace, and truth. In addition to speaking into the culture, the voice of the community speaks into one another, into the lives of one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We, the church, can only be as effective speaking into the culture as we are speaking into the lives of one another. Throughout this pa passage, 
Paul gives imperatives. Did you catch, did you catch them? Speaking to one another, encouraging one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, teaching and admonishing one another. How can a community succeed in speaking into one another's lives if they don't hang out together? Are we really one body in Christ or a fragmented group that gets together from time to time? Do we really believe that we will have success in changing the world for Christ if we're not investing in one another? You may say, well, a couple of hours on Sunday mornings about all I can put up with. Have you seen some of the folks up there at the church? A recent friend and, and really an inspiration of my life is author and speaker, <clears throat> Lael Arrington. She actually lives here in the Columbia area, who recently blogged about this very thing. This is a little lengthy, and I'm going to kind of use pieces of it, but I want you to really focus in here and, and, and listen to her words in particular and the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who she quotes. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer challenges our Western penchant for radical individualism, even in the church, and shows us the beauty and freedom of a ministry of forbearance to others who offend and try our patience. Perhaps like me, she says, you find sometimes that the church, instead of being a community of fellow sinners and fellow travelers, becomes something of an idol. Actually, it's not the church itself, it's my vision of the church. The first perfect church of Lael, those of us who can see just how wonderful things could be if we could just move people from here to there. I would add in, it's, it's as though the big toe imagines that the other parts of the body are just, should be just like him. Wouldn't be a very functional body, would it? She continues, Bonhoeffer writes, I must release the other person from every attempt of mine to regulate, coerce, and dominate him with my love. The other person needs to retain his independence of me, to be loved for what he is, as one for whom Christ died and rose again. I must meet him only as the person that he already is in Christ's eyes. Starting in verse 12 of our passage, we read again, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How do we, as the church, bear with one another? Arrington goes on to say this. We let God create his image in the other person. And we willingly bear the burden of their freedom, which Bonhoeffer says includes all that we mean by a person's nature, individuality, and endowment. It also includes his weaknesses and oddities, which are such a trial to our patience. Everything that produces frictions, conflicts, and collisions among us. To bear with our sister or brother means involvement with the created reality of the other person, to accept and affirm it, and in bearing with it to break through to the point where we actually take joy in it. That is radical 
living. Remember, folks, this is Christ's church, not ours. We don't choose who's a part of the body, but we are called to speak into each other's lives. Finally, we see in our passage that the voice of the community speaks in worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we gather in worship and fellowship and speak to one another in our singing, our praying, our fellowship, our breaking of bread, the reading of scripture, other elements, we as the community of the king have the joyful privilege of speaking to Christ himself. Think about that. If we understood that each time we gather together into groups as the body of Christ, that we have an audience with our king. If we understood that, I think we would be in community groups every day of the week. While it may seem an impractical truth, this is the reality of our gathering together. So I would ask you, what percentage of our voices are dedicated to speaking into the culture, into the lives of one another, and to Christ himself? Give it a number in your head. And in the answer to that question, do we show that we are citizens of the community of the king or citizens of a fallen and dying world? Some that are among us today are still on the outside of the community, perhaps. Maybe today you're drawn to what you're hearing. God's word has become alive to you, and you realize that he is calling you to be a part of his community. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I, our senior pastor, another staff member or leader of this church, would be delighted to talk with you further if you have questions about what you've heard. My challenge this morning is not to guilt you into signing up for community groups. It is to preach Christ to remind you of who you are in him, that you are part of the community of the king, a community whose voice is changed, whose voice is one voice, and whose voice is the voice of Christ. And that with this voice, it is our privilege to speak into the culture, to speak into one another's lives, and to speak to Christ in worship. What further motivation do we need to gather in community every chance we can get? I would encourage you to seek the Lord's will in this matter for you and your families and act accordingly.